Hey everybody, you're listening to the Ride at the Heart podcast. I'm your host, Kara Knight. I took a bit of a break, but I'm finally back from maternity leave, and the episode I'm sharing today, I actually recorded just a week before I had my baby, so I'm super excited to share this episode with you. We have a special guest who brings a unique blend of experience and expertise. Elder law attorney John Ross shares invaluable insights on planning for the future, What happens if the inevitable happens? Not in a morbid sense, though, but in a practical and empowering way. This will be part one of our conversation as he breaks down the process of creating a plan and protecting what matters most. You're listening to Right at the Heart, a podcast focused on sharing inspirational stories from our communities presented by Farmers Bank and Trust. Along the way, you'll learn about managing finances, news about community events, interviews with local leaders, and more. So get ready to be inspired as we get right at the heart of Farmers Bank and Trust. Well, John, again, thank you so much for taking time. I know that you're busy. I'd love for you to tell me a little bit about yourself. I did see on your website that you served as a Marine. Thank you for your service. Oh, yeah. 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 I was uh, I was in the Marines, did four years in the infantry, um, which, you know, uh, I've often said two best decisions I ever made in my life were joining the Marines and getting back out. Uh, it's it's oh, a hard life. <laughs> Yeah, I have a friend, a family friend that is a Marine right now, and he's kind of in that phase where he's trying to decide what to do if he should step out and become a recruiter. If he, you know, he's in Washington, D.C. currently. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a it's a great experience. And it it gave me the discipline and outlook on life that got me through everything else. But, yeah, I got out. I, I used the GI Bill, went back to college, uh, got a degree in accounting. Um, while I was getting a degree in accounting, I really wanted to focus on tax and in focusing on tax, there was the, I somewhere I got the idea of becoming a tax attorney (laughs) had never really thought about going to law school before that. So I went down to the bookstore, picked me up a book on, you know, how to study for the LSAT, uh, applied, got into law school with the whole idea of wanting to do tax law and, as I was studying tax law in law school, of course, a big part of that is the death tax, gift tax, and all of that is heavily tied to estate planning, wills, trusts, and and then I, you know, I said, okay, well, then, yeah, these are all tied together. So I'm going to kind of focus on that estate planning side of things. Okay. And and how that, you know, because I've got the tax knowledge to make it work and I'm going to do the estate planning. And and uh, so that's what I did. I got out. Uh, my first job was at, as a little baby lawyer, um, you know, doing wills and trusts at another firm. I did that for about about a year, um, year and a half. And then I got this kind of bright idea. I said, you know, there's this there's this whole group of retirees or people that are approaching retirement, Um, people that just want to be retired someday, maybe, right? (laughs) Um, Who knows, right? But it's it's this huge window of people. 
and they don't know anything. They don't know about Social Security. They don't know about veteran benefits. They don't know about Medicare or Medicaid. They don't know how all of this relates back to their wills and their trusts and their powers of attorney. And and they don't know how any of that relates to their taxation. And and I, I thought, you know, if you created a firm that did nothing but focus on those needs, I bet that would be a pretty popular idea. And uh, so my my partner and I, her name's Lisa Schollmeyer, and, and in 2005, we started the Ross and Schollmeyer law, law Firm with two laptops and a card table and a bright idea. Um, you know, we're now, I think we're the, um, I know at least geographically, we are the largest uh, boutique elder law asset protection firm in the South, uh, basically covering the entire region from Dallas to Little Rock, Arkansas. Wow. Uh, yeah, so not not too bad over the next 15, 20 years. Yeah, no, and it's amazing to me that you didn't have law school. I mean, this wasn't, this just kind of happened organically for you, it sounds like. And and a wonderful, beautiful practice of helping thousands yeah. and thousands of people. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I mentioned to you earlier, I'm fairly new to the financial space but one thing I have really learned, especially since having children, we really do not know much about planning for our futures, especially this the younger generation. But even I'm very, very close to my grandfather, and he's recently been talking about you know, their wills and their trust and things like that. And I've even mentioned things that I've learned just from being in this industry, and they don't know much about it or what that really looks like. And it kind of has blown my mind a little bit of how very little people know. And unfortunately, you know, one of the biggest hurdles I have had as a as a business owner, right, from a business perspective, is in many cases, I sell a product that people don't know exist. Right. You know, they've heard of a will. Everybody's heard of a will, right? William Shakespeare had a will. You can look it up. It's <laughs> it's it's in the archives. Uh, uh Total side note, William Shakespeare left his wife his second best bed. Interesting. That's an odd thing to leave in your (laughs) will. It's a a little strange, right? But, you know, hey. But anyway, so obviously, I mean, you know, William Shakespeare, that's what, the 1400s, something like that? You know, so obviously it's been a while. So people have heard about wills, but they don't really think about, um, they don't think about their own incapacity. You know, what happens before you die when you have a stroke or you get Alzheimer's? Um, they they don't understand often what a will does versus what it doesn't do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they they often don't think about the bad things that could happen to right. their beneficiaries. Right. You know, you know, your uh, um, you know, your grandfather, let's just say your grandfather was going to include you in his planning. Well, here you are, you're. You're young, you're healthy, you're you're well married, you've got great kids, everything you've got a good job, everything's going great in your world, right? right? And and so the idea, you know, from your grandfather's perspective, he's saying, Yeah, um, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna leave her some money, right? No big deal. But that doesn't plan for what could happen, right? You could be, you could be deceased. Maybe you died shortly before him, right? Well, now we've got money that's going to a two-year-old. Well, a two-year-old can't be in charge of money. Right. You right. know, 
and and they can't be in charge of it until they're 18. And when they're 18, they're stupid. Yeah, somebody needs to take care of it and tell them what to do. <laughs> right. You know, maybe you're in a car wreck and you're the disabled one, right? Maybe you had some sort of financial issue. You, you're being sued or something. Um, you know, maybe your your husband, you know, ran off with a cocktail waitress named Cinnamon. Well, we don't want him taking half of what grandpa no. left behind, right? <laughs> and so, so, you know, what people don't realize is that you plan for the stuff you hope doesn't happen, right? You plan for what if I become incapacitated and need nursing home care, right? I'm going to shield my assets and make sure that they're protected. I'm going to plan for, uh, I mean, I know I'm going to die. I can't avoid that one, but I can at least maybe make the transition at my death nice and easy. Right. And 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 I can make sure that there's not going to be any tax consequences there, right? And then I can look at my beneficiaries and say, yeah, I'm going to leave this to my my granddaughter here, but I'm going to make sure that it's protected if it has to falls in the hands of her young children or or you know and you know if she's being sued or if she's disabled or or you know if if cinnamon's now in the picture right whatever the deal is no way cinnamon (laughs) (laughs) that's interesting is that one of the common challenges that people face when it comes to estate planning really just the education of estate planning in general yeah, I would say that's from my perspective, that's one of the biggest things. It's why we have done over the years, we have done community programs. We uh one of at least one of our attorneys is speaking somewhere every week, maybe to a, a church senior group, maybe it's to the retired teachers association at their annual meeting. Uh, you know, any opportunity, kind of like this podcast, right? Any opportunity, I'll take it to get out there and tell people, hey, you need to be thinking about this stuff. Um, because so many people just don't know. Well, I assume seniors, your elderly population is what you would see the most of, but do you personally recommend? I mean, I know for me, just being in this space, I, you know, I'm thinking, okay, do I need to go? at least start planning ahead i've i've often said that if if you can if you can answer three questions in the negative um and 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 that being that you are single so unmarried if you say yes um you have no children and you're broke if you're all three of those single no kids and broke there's nothing i can do for you really <laughs> Good to know. So if you're listening and you're single, not married and broke, just skip along. (laughs) Move move along. (laughs) But if you said yes to any one of those, now I will say when I was, when I first started doing this and, and of course, you know, 20 years ago, right? So I'm 20 years younger than what I am right now. And I'm thinking, oh, I need to tell my peers, right? You know, at that point I had a two-year-old. And one on the way, right? I was you, right? And and so, you know, I'm thinking, yeah, this is super important. What happens if me and the wife are killed in a car wreck and the baby's back there all cuddled up in that car seat so they're going to survive? Okay, who who makes the medical decisions about that baby now? Who who decides what school they attend? Which household do they live in? Is it my parents? Is it her parents? Is it my brother or sister? Is it her brother or sister? 
Um, what about the money? That 18-wheeler company is going to have to write a big fat check because they killed us in that car wreck. Well, it can't go to the two-year-old who's in charge of it. Right. You know, and so you think about all of those and you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I, we've got some stuff. I've got kids. I've got something to plan for. It feels a little almost morbid to talk about. For example, my stepfather passed away a few years ago, and I feel like until that happened to me, it didn't feel as necessary. Sure. But then once you experience that, you go through a death in your family, it's kind of a wake-up call, like, shoot, I need to do something so that my family isn't going through what my mother did. And, and and you know, I'm, I am... I'm burdened by seeing some of the worst circumstances that people can fall into. And and so, yeah, most most people have never seen the four-way custody battle over Mm -hmm. an orphan, right? So the, the, the parents are dead. We have a minor child and all four think they should be the ones in charge of the four year old. Ooh, that's rough. And <laughs> that's rough. That situation. Yeah. And I mean, surely you would hope that everybody would get along, but you're also talking about people who just lost their child. They just lost their, their sibling, um, you know, and, and all of a sudden that grandbaby becomes the replacement character, right? They've lost their, they've lost their daughter, this two-year-old is the only thing they have, and they're thinking, but if this two-year-old goes to the, the dad's parents, well, we may never see him again, so we're going to fight like hell. Yeah. We're going to give this all we got, because this is our only chance to be a part of our dead daughter's life. Wow, what a nightmare. Oof. But wouldn't it, I mean, but what if we just had a piece of paper from you that said, hey, if if me and the husband are dead, we want the babies to live with his brother, Steve, but we also are want to maintain the relationship with all sides of the family. And, and also we're going to put them any money that we have, we're going to put it over here in trust with farmer's bank. Cause we, we, we trust brother Steve, but you know, maybe not with the money so much. Right. So we want a nice independent third party that we know will use the money for the two-year-old. Right. Um, and without and and knows how to invest and knows how to bank and knows how to file tax returns, and that way the the money's protected. Now the kids got somebody that's pre-designated. So yeah, even for even for somebody that's young, there are things that could be done. Is there a specific? Well, you said basically if you can answer those three questions. I was going to say an age, but really that looks different for everyone. Well, and it's you know it's funny because people will say they'll say, "Well, John, I hear you know y'all call yourselves elder law attorneys, so how old do you need to be to see an elder law attorney?" And <laughs> and yeah, the the answer is eighteen. Although I am somewhat joking about that, I've got four children; they're all adults um, at this point. The youngest one turns twenty one next next week. Um, mm-hmm. So, but. But you know, let's let's just take that. I've got a daughter that's in law school. Okay. So she's down in law school. She's in San Antonio. Um, if she were in a car wreck today and had a brain injury, I can't talk to my own health insurance company about her, even though she's covered under my policy. She's an adult, and unless she has given me her signed written authorization under the HIPAA privacy law. They can't disclose anything to me, even though I'm paying the premium. Wow. Yeah. You don't think about those things. It feels like it would be 
common sense, but no. Yeah. So, so I, you know, I tell people all the time, I say, you know, when my kids turn 18, they sign a durable power of attorney, a medical power of attorney, they sign a HIPAA authorization. And that way I can make business decisions or medical decisions for them or get copies of their medical records if they become incapacitated. Because who knows? Right. Um, of course, there's also when it comes to 18 year olds, I also make them sign what's called a FERPA release. That's the Federal Education Rights Pri- or Privacy Rights Act or something like that. Um, I've, I've had a lot of parents that will get very frustrated because they called Texas A&M to find out how their kids grades were. And Texas A&M won't tell them. Oh, wow. And they say, but we pay the bills. And A&M says, we don't care. Your child's an adult. Interesting. If they want you to have the grades, they can authorize it. Probably doesn't even know they have that power. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, they they don't, in fact. Which is why at 18 you say, here, sign all these things. Right. <laughs> you know, well, before they before that. they learn better uh, and say, oh no, uh, I don't have to tell my mama that I uh, you know, majored in in fraternity parties this semester and got a <laughs> 0.5 GPA. Yeah, I'm learning something new. I did not know that. That's very interesting to know. And I was very open with my mom all through college. <laughs> wow, I did not know that. Yeah, there's just so many. I mean, there's so many things, right? So from from early on at 18 all the way to, to 90 or 100, there are going to be laws and things that impact those people, particularly in relation to incapacity and death. And yeah. and if you don't know about them, you will find out when something goes wrong. Right. And 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 then you're over trying to get me to clean it up. And and I can clean up a lot of problems, but it ain't pretty. Yeah, makes your job a lot harder, I'm sure. <laughs> well, and and I mean, let's be frank. You're talking to a lawyer. If my job's harder, that means it's expensive. <laughs> right. I, you know, True. I've 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 said many times over the years. What people, you know, a lot of times they they think, oh, well, I don't know if I want to go see a lawyer about doing my estate planning, right? It's going to be expensive. You know, they're all fancy. Of course, I'm not fancy, but you know, they say, oh, they're, you know, they're all fancy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be sitting at the, you know, in a in a fancy room with marble countertops, and some lawyer wearing a bow tie is gonna be talking over my head, and it's gonna be super expensive. Well, of course, it's not anything like that, but. If all I ever did was prevent people's problems from happening or or pre-plan for those problems for when they do happen, I'd make half the money that I make. We, wow. you know, most attorneys are going to make their money cleaning up your mess. Well, we're ta- you're talking about the mess and the arguments. You mentioned the custody battle. Mm-hmm. What are some things that people can do to prevent? or manage these conflicts from happening? In my experience, the amount of money is mostly irrelevant. If they're going to fight, they'll fight over anything. You know, the, the, I mean, I've had two brothers beat each other up over the deer meat in their daddy's freezer. So, you know, that's obviously of no value whatsoever, but it was, it was enough to go to blows over. Um, So, (laughs) yeah, I mean, yeah, I, 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 at this point, I've seen it all. Um, no, I was you know, going to say, can... that's probably not even the worst of it that you've oh, it's, seen. It's not. The worst stuff we don't even talk about in public forums. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Understood. Yeah, the, the, the Farmer's Bank podcast doesn't want a big X rating on 
on <laughs> iTunes, you know. Believe it at that. <laughs> so, um, but I, I would say, you know, I can I kind of alluded it alluded to it earlier, but <laughs> but there's three general phases to a what I would call a good estate plan. So so phase one is you have a plan for incapacity. If you live long enough, let's say uh, you mentioned your grandfather. How old is your grandfather? Any yes, idea? 82. 82. So right now, it, it, between 80 and 85, um, the chance of him being incapacitated prior to death is going to be around 90%. That's, wow. that's almost, so that's basically a guarantee. Yeah. Right? And now it may not be for a long time. Right. It could be just for a month or two Um, or it could be for an extended period of time. Right. Um, You know, if you have a stroke and it kills you, well, that's one thing. If you have a stroke and it it paralyzes you, but then you're back, you just can't move around. You're in trouble. Right. So so you have a plan for how you're going to pay for that, because you're either you know, if you if you need something like nursing home care, you're either going to write a six thousand dollar a month check which for most people is a fast way to the poorhouse, or you're going to qualify for a government benefit like Medicaid, but in order to qualify for Medicaid, you got to be broke. Mm. And so why don't, you know, let's, let's see who are you, you know, if, if you're very, very wealthy, well, maybe you can just private pay. Good. Great. That's one thing. But if you're, if you're not very, very wealthy, then maybe we need to look at which assets you have that would prevent you from qualifying for Medicaid. And then maybe we should shield those with a trust or some other way so that they don't count towards your eligibility for Medicaid when you have that stroke. Right. So so first, we've got this plan for incapacity. Second, we're going to have this plan for transitioning assets at death in the smoothest, easiest, most cost effective method. Right. So, for example. Let's say that I have a, a life insurance policy, right? And I name you as the beneficiary on the policy. So on the policy, it names you and I die. Well, all you really have to do is call the insurance agent up, show them my death certificate and get a check. That was easy. <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. no, no big deal. That's a, but let's, let's, say, let's say instead I had a house and the house is just in my name and I did a will. And in my will, I say, you get the house. Okay, now I die. Well, the will's not valid unless it's been admitted to court. So after I die, you're going to hire an attorney, give them the will. They'll file it with the clerk's office. A couple of three or four weeks later, you'll have a hearing. You get appointed as my executor. Within the first 90 days, you file an inventory of my estate. And you publish notice in the newspaper that John's dead. And if any if he owes anybody any money, now's their time to come get paid. <laughs> You have to give, if I live in Texas, you have to give my creditors a period of four months. If I live in Arkansas, you have to give my creditors a period of six months to file claims against the estate. So now for roughly half a year, you're just sitting around twiddling your thumbs and spending money on lawyers. Once you get to the end of that waiting period and you've paid the court, you've paid your lawyer, and you've paid any of my creditors, you can now get the house. Well, that's a that's a big difference, right? Yeah. <laughs> On the other hand, what if I did a deed on my house that said, it's my house as long as I'm alive, and when I'm dead, it's your house? Simple as that. I just named a beneficiary on my house. It's just like the life insurance, right? I die, you show up at the clerk's office with a copy of my death certificate, 
boom, you got a house. Off you go. Wow. Like I'm like, my brain is I'm like, I need to go <laughs> tell my family right now. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, right? People, people have heard of a will, right? They've heard of a will, right. but nobody's ever heard of a beneficiary deed or a ladybird deed, which is what they call it in Texas. Um, but they've been around for a long time. This is not new law. Um I did not know this existed. Yeah, and, and who does, right? But you know, you're you're at the bank, right? And you people go to the bank, they open up an account, and, and that that account representative is going to say, "Well, hey, would you like to name a pay on death beneficiary?" Right? And then that way you name a pay on death beneficiary on your checking account or savings account, and you die. Well, whoever that name beneficiary is, they show up with a death certificate, walk out with the money. Nice and smooth, nice and easy. You know, so again, that's just that's a, that's one example of uh, of how you would want a smooth, easy transition at death, right? Figure out what are your options, and then pick the options that are going to work for you. And then the third phase of a good plan is protecting those beneficiaries, and that's back to where we we're trying to anticipate what I call the four D's: death, disability, debts, and divorce. Those are the four things that I know could happen to you. You could die. You could get into debt. You could have creditors. You know, you could be disabled and you could be in a nasty marriage. Um, and if those four, if any of those four things happen, then the inherited assets are in jeopardy. And so I need to have a plan for those. I need to have a plan to protect my beneficiaries. Such good information. It's not often talked about, but the importance is undeniable. That's it for part one with John Ross, but stay tuned. We will be releasing part two later in February, where he talks about recognizing the signs of elder abuse, something we see often in the banking world, advocating for our seniors, and navigating the ever-evolving landscape of digital estate planning. Thanks for tuning in. As always, for your banking needs, visit myfarmers.bank. Member FDIC Equal Housing Lender.